Good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you to the Lighthouse of Faith and Worship. Those of you who are listening online, I just want to welcome you into our congregation this morning. And I pray that the message that you hear this morning is encouraging, uplifting, corrective, whatever it is that the Holy Spirit means for this message to be, I pray that you would receive it and that it would enrich your life and it would point you to Jesus. Welcome. Sorry, long intro. Had nothing to do with the sermon. Numbers chapter 20. If you ever have trouble sleeping at night, falling asleep, open your Bible to Numbers chapter 20 and begin reading in chapter 1. You'll be asleep before you get done with chapter 1. I doubt that. You're not trying hard enough. (laughs) Numbers chapter 20. This morning I want to share a message of warning with all of you. We know that if we ask God to help us, he'll help us, right? When God gives us specific instructions on what to do and how to do it, we'd better pay attention and we'd better do what we're told. God tells us how to do things for a reason. If God says, hey, Tracy, I want you to do X and Y, right? And Tracy does Z and doesn't do X and Y, and then I wonder why what I believe God has put on my heart isn't coming to fruition, isn't happening, or why the desires that God has placed in me aren't coming to a fruition, but I'm being disobedient. I've kind of cut all the guts out of the process. God desires for us to be obedient. So let me ask you something. Can you think of specific instances in the Bible where God gave specific instructions? Think. Everybody think. I want, I want, I want some interaction here. This is an opportunity for you to have some interaction. Think of something in the Bible where God gave specific instructions on how to do something. What? The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, okay. God gave specific instructions on what the laws were, on what it looked like to break those laws, right? He gave, he gave the, the one where he said, children, honor your parents, right? And, and we find out later that, that if children honor their parents, it's the first uh, commandment, it's the first um, way that God blesses us is if we'll honor our parents and bless us with a long life. Some of you might, you know, if you're getting older, you might be thinking, okay, I shouldn't have listened to my parents so much, maybe, right? No, nobody says that, right? Because it's a blessing to have a long life. So what else? What else can anybody? Moses calling forth the water. Well, oh, you're in my message. You're in my message this morning. Anybody else? The Ark of the Covenant. What about it? Very specific. People died. They didn't do it right. Yep. He said, don't touch it, right? If you touch it, what was the guy's name? The guy's name was, I can't remember it. I'm losing, I'm not, my memory's not as sharp as it used to be. But he, the, the ox stumbled that was carrying the cart, and the, the, the ark started to sort of go over, and the guy reached out. And he put his hand on it to keep it from falling, and God killed him. What about Adam and Eve? What about Adam and Eve? What happened there? God told them to do stuff. Yeah. And they, they did disobey. Eve disobeyed God's word. Yep. God had said, Don't, you can eat from any tree in the garden. You can eat from any tree in the garden except this one. Leave that one alone. And then what happens? Satan shows up, right? 
That's the way it always works. Satan always wants to show up and muddy up the waters. Did God really say that the day you eat from that tree, you'll surely die? God throw, now God, Satan throws doubt into the soup. And you know what happens when you throw doubt into the soup? It doesn't taste as good. It doesn't accomplish what, what it's supposed to accomplish. Satan throws doubt into the mix all the time. Because if you can throw doubt into the mix, then it leads to, instead of being specific about what it is God calls us to do, we start to do our own things. We start to try to rationalize our own ideas and how we can make something happen, right? And Roger talked about one of those things. So in, in Numbers chapter 20, oh, let me, let me share with you what I was thinking of, right? The first thing I thought of when I thought about the specific instructions that God gives us, if you, if you read Exodus chapter 25 through 30, so five chapters, God spends five chapters talking about the tabernacle in the wilderness, the tent of meeting, the place where he would meet with Moses, the place that would become the center of society for Israel as they traveled through the wilderness. It says that the tent of meeting was to be set up in the center of uh, the encampment. And all the tents of Israel were to be pitched and the doorways were to be facing the tabernacle. So that when the men came out in the morning first, their hearts and their eyes were focused on that place where, where God would come to meet Moses and where they would be led from by the word of God. So God was very specific. He said, that's how the camp gets set up. He said, you're going to make the tabernacle to be so many cubits long and so many cubits wide, so many cubits tall. It's going to have fabric that is all of these colors, and you're going to, um, you're going to set these poles up, and you're going to, all these things are going to happen. So the dimensions, God was specific about the dimensions, he was specific about the fabric that would be used. He was specific about what kind of wood would be used, what kind of skin would be used for the top of the tabernacle, which was badger skin, which was tough. It was hard to come by. It would have taken a lot of them to make that, that ceiling. And he also said that, that there was going to be furniture, specific furniture for specific use that was to be made. And some of it was to be overlaid with gold, and some of it was to be... Uh, there was supposed to be brass that was involved. And brass is always a picture of judgment, okay? So when you, when you think of some of these things, when you're reading your Bible and you see where brass is brought up, brass is always a picture of judgment, okay? So whenever you see brass show up as, a, as a, something in a statement, look for where is the judgment coming from? What is the judgment about as this brass is brought up? So all of these things are going on, and God says, they have to be done this way. Now I ask you this, what would happen if Moses and the Levites, part of that process was setting aside the Levites as the people who would set this thing up, carry it around, or tear it down, carry it around, set it back up, take care of all the stuff. If something got broken, they fixed it. They would have to, someone would have to bake the showbread. Someone would have to make sure that the altars of incense were filled with oil. All of these specific things had to happen, and God set it up. Now, what would have happened if Moses or Aaron, Aaron was the high priest, Moses being the leader of the nation, what would have happened if either one of them would have said, you know, I know, God, that you said that this many pounds of gold were going to be needed for, for covering uh, this wood, for covering the staffs, or for making the ringlets, or whatever it is. Uh, 
I just don't really feel like melting that much gold today. I can do it with a lot less. What would have happened if, if something that simple would have been ignored? It wouldn't have fallen apart. You know what? They would have made it work, but here's what would have happened. God wouldn't have showed up. God shows up in our obedience. God always shows up in our obedience. Because our obedience is an invitation to God. The temple would have been insufficient because the temple is a model of heaven. It's a model of the, the court where the throne of God sat, where the mercy seat was at, where the, where the blood was splashed on the altar. All of it was a picture of heaven. And so if we don't do things the way that God says when it came to building that tabernacle, if, if they hadn't done those things, it would have been an improper representation of what heaven is. And you know that the world has an improper representation of what heaven is and how to get there, don't they? They think heaven's a place where you're just going to go, there's not going to be a care in the world, but the Bible says that heaven's a place where we're going to go and we're going to spend day and night worshiping. Day and night, <coughs> night and day, let incense arise, Right? Not much of a singer, but that's what we're going to do in heaven. We're going to be in the presence of God. We're not going to be like, you know, sorry, we're not going to be fishing all day. God may let us fish, but we're there to worship God. We're there to be in his presence. He created us for his glory, amen, for his, for his purpose. And um, it's important that we obey, we, we obey God. And... Um, as I said, our main text is in Numbers chapter 20, verse 8 through 12. Now, I'm going to be sharing from the uh, New Living Translation this morning. But I don't have a New Living Translation Bible in front of me. I, I loaned it out for someone to use this morning. So um, bear with me because I'm going to read it from the, 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 the New King James. So I've got the notes. Well, I'll just read it from here. Um, Numbers, verse 20. I'm going to start with verse 8 and 9. And this is what it says. It says, You and Aaron... And if you've got a pen, underline, don't you underline my Bible? <laughs> no, it's okay. I think I already have it underlined. If I don't, you go ahead and underline it. Um, so here, here's what it says. It says, you and Aaron must take the staff. Okay? God's given specific instructions. Take the staff, underline that. And then it says, and assemble the entire community. So there's, there's commandment number two on this. Take the staff, assemble the entire community. And as the people watch, <coughs> as the people watch, speak to the rock. Circle that. Speak to the rock. Over there. Speak to that rock over there. And it will pour out its water. It makes me wonder, does every rock contain water? No, because God said, speak to that rock over there. Speak to that specific rock right there. That one I'm pointing to. Because if he had gone and spoke to the rock to the left of it, or to the left of it, or to the right of it, there's no water in it. There's only water, there's, there's only water where God says there's water. Amen? He said, speak to that rock over there. And it will pour out its water. And then it's, this, is, this is what it says. God says that when you do these things I'm telling you to do, to the rock that I'm telling you to do, with the people that I'm telling you to tell it to, if you do those things, this is what it will do. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy 
the whole community and their livestock. This is what it says in verse 9. So Moses did what he was told. He took the staff from its place where it was kept before the Lord. Guess what? That staff was kept where? Where was the staff kept? The staff was kept in the tent of meeting. That staff was part of the tent of meeting. was part of the tabernacle. But this is what it says in Exodus chapter 17. Okay? Verse 5 and 6. See if it sounds familiar. The Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people, take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile. Okay, so the staff was only used a few times. It wasn't like a walking stick that Moses took everywhere he went. When you watch the Ten Commandments, Moses always had a walking stick, right? But the truth of the matter is, this walking stick was not any normal walking stick. It, it had purpose. And so it's only mentioned, this staff is only mentioned a few times in the Old Testament. And he says, take the staff that you struck the water with the Nile. Moses has a history of hitting stuff with this staff. He struck the water, right? Remember what happened when Moses struck the water? What happened? He struck the water, the Red Sea, before they were, while Pharaoh was chasing them, and the Red Sea opened up, and Israel crossed over on dry ground. They didn't cross over on muddy ground. They crossed over on dry ground. And they crossed over and got to safety because he did what God said. God said, strike, strike the water with your staff. So he says, you remember the one you used when you struck the water now and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. God's all about having an audience when he's going to do something. You know why? Because... God deserves the glory. And he, do, he doesn't want anybody to get the glory for the things that he's done. Amen? Do you think that makes him a bad God? No. Everybody likes credit when they do something, don't they? God's no different. We were made in his image. But God does it for his glory, not for his selfishness, like we sometimes do. Anybody been there? Okay. Nobody, just me. All right. He says... Um, I will stand before you. Wait a minute. Who's going to stand before him? Who's speaking? I'm going to stand before you on the rock. Circle that. If you, if you got that part open, or write that down. Write that down to Exodus chapter 17, verse 5. I will stand before you on the rock. Okay? At Mount Sinai. God says this. He says, strike the rock, and the water will come gushing out. So guess what? Moses is going to file this away. Oh my gosh, I can strike a rock and water's going to come out. But again, God says, which rock? Strike the, water, the rock and water's going to come out. Follow my instructions and you'll have water. <coughs> Excuse me. He says, the water's going to come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So God takes care of the cattle. He takes care of the people here in Numbers. And he does the same thing in Exodus 17. So Moses strikes the rocks as he's told and water gushes out. As the elders looked on, God is consistent. Amen? God's consistent. In our inconsistencies, in our circumstances, in, in the way that we handle things, I, I may handle a situation this way today, and tomorrow I might decide to handle it differently tomorrow. And I, I may get the same results, but it doesn't mean I got the right results. All right? But God is consistent. And when we do what God says to do, God is consistent. God doesn't say, well, yeah, you struck the rock, but I, I decided I'm not going to give you any water. 
if he says do something and we do it, God, he watches his word be performed. He watches over his word to see it performed. So specific instructions are given out how to and when to proceed. The staff was spoken of in Exodus 7, not only struck the particular rock, it also struck the Red Sea and it caused it to split wide open, as I said, and Israel to walk over on dry ground. There's no mention of the rod being used between Exodus 17 and Numbers 20. I'm not certain how much time that was, but when used how God commands the tools that he gives you to use, when those tools are used his way, they're always effective. Always effective. When God gives us tools to use and we use them according to his instructions, his will is done. You want to know how to do God's will? When he gives you instructions, do them. God's really clear about that. Lord, what's your will for my life? Well, let's, let's read. Let's look at the last chapter of Matthew. Let's look at the, Mark chapter 16, 15, if you're a Christian, 15 through 19. If you're a believer, look at those and see, what is God's will for your life? Go make more of you. In, in Genesis, God said to, the, to Adam and Eve, go be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. So overcome it, or, or subdue it, Right? wrestle it to the ground and subdue it and have control over it. <clears throat> That's God's will for your life. Just parts of it, but you can put those parts together and have a pretty successful life if you'll obey God. In Numbers, to go on, now here's the thing. I only gave you the first half of that scripture. In Numbers chapter 20, verse 10 through 12, you got your pen, get ready again. You're going to start underlining it. It says, then he and Aaron summoned the people to come to gather at the rock. Something about gathering at the rock, amen? We used to go to a church called Church of the Rock, and I loved it. I loved gathering at the rock. That's what everybody called our church, the rock, the rock, the rock. Why? Because it was on Jesus Christ, the rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand at the rock. Gather at the rock. And this is what they said to him. Listen, you rebels. Listen, you rebels, wake up, listen up. Must we bring you water from this rock? God said to go speak to the rock. And Moses and Aaron began to question the crowd about what they wanted. First problem right there. They began to seek the counsel of people rather than obeying the commands of God. Always going to be a problem. When you begin to go get man's opinion on something, when God has been clear about what it is that he wants you to do, it's going to be a problem. <clears throat> Verse 11. Then Moses raised his hand and he struck the rock twice with his staff. What did God say to do to the rock? Nope. God said speak to the rock. The first time in Exodus 17, God said, strike the rock. Here, God said, speak to the rock. But what did Moses do? Moses went back to what worked the last time. What worked in his other situation. The problem was, was water. And he went back to the same old solution. At least the one he was familiar with. And he struck the rock. He didn't strike it once, he struck it twice. Why did he strike it twice? Because the first time didn't work. Because it's not what God told him to do. You know, sometimes you can accomplish things in your will just by striving and working extra hard. You can accomplish certain things. You can become, quote-unquote, a good person. You can become righteous. 
But that's called self-righteousness. That's not the righteousness of Christ. So twice didn't work, so I'm going to hit it the first time. In other words, I'm going to force the issue. Because when he went to these people and he started asking questions about what they wanted instead of doing what God commanded, he became a people pleaser instead of a God pleaser. So the truth is, just because we can make something happen doesn't mean it's God's will for it to happen the way we're doing it. It was God's will to give him water, but it wasn't God's will for him to strike the rock. The rock, when you see stuff like this, the rock, it's a picture of Christ. So just as Joshua would later do in the Battle of Jericho, everybody remember the Battle of Jericho and the Battle of Ai, okay? First battle coming into the promised land, they had to take Jericho. And they walked around, and they walked around the mountains, and they would shout when they would walk around the mountain. And then the last day they walked around, they didn't say anything. They blew the horn, and the walls came down, right? So a little while later, they had to go to, up against this other little town called Ai. And what did they do? God said, do the things the way I tell you to do it. The walls are going to fall down. You're going to have the city. So what happened was Joshua and the, and the people of Israel, instead of seeking counsel from God, what did they do? They said, we're just going to go do what worked last time. It'll work again this time, like Moses is doing. And you know what happened? Israel was a big, uh, a million people strong. And, and I, I want to say there was like 28,000 soldiers or something. There's a large number of soldiers. The number of soldiers was bigger than the town of Ai. And I want to say 46 Israelis were killed trying to fight Ai by Joshua's plan. And the Bible says that Israel was routed. They were chased off by a smaller number because their plans didn't work. Because instead of seeking God, they said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to talk to our generals. We're going to talk to our consultants. We're going to come up with a battle plan. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to lose. Because we didn't ask God first. We didn't seek God first. We, didn't, we weren't obedient to what God said. Because if we would have asked him, God would have told us, amen? <clears throat> so it cost him, and it cost, it cost him big time. It cost people's lives. You know that God puts us in situations, and I'm thankful that I haven't been put in situations like this, but some of my mistakes can cost somebody their lives. Do you know that as a pastor, some of my mistakes can, cost, can go towards costing somebody their spiritual life? I can turn somebody off to God completely. I could, I, I could permanently damage somebody by the things that I say. I have to be careful about how I handle the Word of God and how I reach out to people. Now, I normally start out, when I start talking about the Lord to people, I talk about the law because I want people to understand why God's love is so important, why God's mercy is so important. And sometimes when you're talking to people and you begin to explain the law to them, and you, be, you, know, you start off by saying, hey, do you think you're a good person? Well, yeah, I think I'm a good person. And you, Okay, well, you know... Um, have you ever stolen anything? And they'll be like, well, no, not really. No, I've never really stolen. I've never gone to a store and stolen something. You know, and so you trap like that. You say, well, have you ever gone to work and not given eight hours work for eight hours pay? We've all done that. So we've stolen from our employer. So then you continue on. You talk about, hey, have you ever killed anybody? Well, everybody in this room would say, no, I've never killed anybody. I've never murdered anybody. And you say, well... Jesus took it further than the act of murdering somebody. He said, 
If you've hated somebody in your heart, you've committed murder. Oh, I guess I've done that. Remember, if you ask somebody if they're a good person, they'll almost always respond, yeah, I think I'm pretty good. But see, now when you get just through two things, you, you find out that not only do they know I'm not any good, I'm not any good either. Right? Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever bared false witness against somebody? By the way, I have stolen. I stole a chunky candy bar, and my accomplice is right there. <laughs> we, 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 tur we turned over a 7-Eleven in Houston, Texas about 40 years ago. I'm laughing about it, but God wasn't laughing about it. Um, have you ever lied? And, and they'll think about it and say, no, I don't lie. I don't lie. Well, they just did. Because we, we've all lied, right? So this idea of being a good person isn't enough. Because by our own admission, I mean, I could go through all Ten Commandments, but I don't have to because the Bible says if we haven't kept one of his laws, we've broken them all. So by my own admission, I'm a murdering, um, lying, thieving person. Have you ever looked at somebody with, with lust in your heart? Well, yeah, I have. Well, Jesus said I've committed adultery in my heart. Well, now there's four. I'm really in trouble. See, the truth of the matter is when you begin to explain God's law to people, law requires obedience, right? Go out on the highway out here and go 100 miles an hour up and down the highway, and pretty soon, one of the time, if you just keep driving and doing that through Sheridan, the state police officer that sits there by the firehouse is going to get you, right? Or maybe he sits at the hospital. But there's one. There's always one around where there's a county cop down by the funeral home. They're going to get you. You're going to get caught breaking the law, Right? Yeah, they're going to get you. So the, the law is there for, for our good. So when you try to explain the law to people, the, the minute you start getting too close, they want to, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, and they want to change the subject. But the thing is, is it's hard to get to, to showing people God's love because they are so put off by obedience. Because we have this idea that we live in a free country and we can do whatever we want, and yes, that's all true, but... God desires obedience from us as believers. And he desires that the unbelievers would come to that place of obedience. And God is graceful, gracious, not graceful. He's pretty graceful too, I think. I've never seen him dance, but he's probably pretty graceful. He's gracious and he's, he's merciful in that he doesn't give us what, what we deserve. He instead offers us a way out from the violation of our sin. That's God's love. And I wrestle a lot of times with what's greater, God's love or his justice? God's love or his law? And I feel like God, because the Bible says that God is love. Amen? But God is also justice. God is also righteous. So there's this balancing act that, that you wrestle with. And I'm looking at Romans 4, 17, and it says, that's what the scriptures mean when God told Abraham this. He said, I've made you the father of many nations. And this happened because Abraham believed in God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Remember what I said earlier about the, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, his new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. He made something out of nothing in all of us. Without God, apart from God, apart because we break his law. So apart from 
the presence of God apart of, from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, apart, of be, apart from being washed in the blood and, and, and made free, we're nothing. And then God makes us into something, just like he did with Abraham. So God can do all things, and he gives us liberty, and he gives us freedom to seek him and to follow him, but he doesn't allow us to still go against his word. But he, he gives us grace. He keeps extending grace. And then he shows us mercy. The Bible is the revealed word of God, and we can't take things out of context and use it the way we see fit. God is consistent. Remember what I said? Because if we do that, we make God out to be inconsistent because we're trying to explain God in our terms rather than what the Bible says. We can no sooner speak things into existence than, than we could cause the Mississippi River to flow backwards. We can't, we can't create planets like God created. This, this Romans 4.17, on a side note, is one of the ones that people will say, oh, you can say, speak things as though they were, and that's true. We are speak things as though they were. God brings something from nothing, but he doesn't allow us to say, there's a million dollars in my bank account. Bill, go check my bank account. <laughs> Not a million dollars there. <laughs> well, see, Bill hasn't changed. <laughs> there won't be after I check. Nice. <laughs> Mark eleven twenty through 26, if you're still following along. It says, it says, the next morning they passed by the fig tree, and the day before God had come by, and he saw that the fig tree wasn't producing any fruit. That fig tree is a, is, a, is a picture of us, okay? God desires to see fruit out of our lives, all right? And because God went by and it was the time of year that that fig tree was supposed to produce fruit, it didn't have fruit. And God had, uh, Jesus had said that, that you know, well, what he, would, what he would say later, but was that because that tree doesn't bear fruit, it should be chopped down and thrown into the fire. So if that picture is a picture of believers, and believers are not showing fruit, are they believers? Yeah, they're a tree, they're a person, but Christians produce fruit. Believers produce fruit. Okay? So he says this, he says, that the, he cursed the fig tree. He said, that thing is going to produce fruit. It doesn't produce fruit, he curses the fig tree, and it says that that tree withered from the roots up when he came by the next day. And Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day, and he exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. And then Jesus said to the disciples, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. Now, we're talking about speaking. I know you guys are probably wondering where I'm at, but we're talking about speaking. Speak to the rock. Speak to the situation. Speak to the rock. What is that? Speak to the rock. Who's the rock? Jesus is the rock. Speak to the rock about your situation. So this is what Jesus says. He says, I'm going to tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, this situation, okay? May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, or be thou removed, the King James says. And it will happen. Is that speaking something into existence? It's speaking in faith because you're speaking to the rock. You're not striking it on your own with your stick, with your efforts, with your 
I'm not getting out my jackhammer to the mountain. I'm not getting my bulldozer to the mountain. I'm not getting a TNT, drilling holes and dropping the dynamite down into the mountain to remove the mountain. I'm speaking to the one who made the mountain. Because he knows the mountain. He knows which mountain you're facing. Just like God said, speak to that rock and water will flow from it. Jesus says, you can say to what mountain? You can say to this mountain, be removed. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. See, there, remember what I said, Satan, when he wants to come along, he put those doubt into the soup and he wrecks the soup. He says, you got to believe it and don't doubt. James says that a double-minded person is unstable in all of his ways. You know why? Because he has doubt. He can't settle on one thing. He's focused on two different things. I've been that way in my life where I can't make a decision or I'm struggling, I'm struggling with which way to fall on a situation. Well, guess what? I'm probably going to mess it up because I'm trying to decide. I'm being like Moses and Aaron going to the people and saying, what do you think? What should we do? Roger, what should I do? Rogers should say, pray. I don't have the answers. But he's my friend and he'll try to help me. Out of compassion, out of the goodness of his heart. But Roger's not my source. Roger's not my solution. God is. The rock is. So Jesus said, I tell you, you can pray for anything and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. That's prosperity, that's prosperity gospel in a nutshell right there because that's all they believe in. <clears throat> believe that you've received. That's what they'll focus on. You better ask Jesus, is this what I'm supposed to have, Lord? Is this how I'm supposed to do it, Lord? But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against. See, that's the part the prosperity gospel leaves out. They wonder why the churches are all full of poor people, but the pastor's rich. Because they leave that part out. He said, forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against. These are instructions. You want, if you're praying and you're asking God for something, you better search your heart. You want to see God bless you in a, in a way that's miraculous? Let every person you've ever met in contact with let you take them before the Lord. The Bible talks about, Jesus said that when he said, when you come to the altar with your gift and you have something against your brother, leave your gift there at the altar and go and make it right with your brother. Go make it right with your friend. Go seek forgiveness. Go bring forgiveness to that situation. Ask for forgiveness. And then come back and give your gift and your gift will be received. See how the Bible's consistent with what God says when you keep it in context? Forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in Heaven will forgive your sins too. Don't think for a second if you're running around with unforgiveness in your heart that you're forgiven by God. Because there's conditions to forgiveness, amen? Jesus washes away all of our sins, but there are conditions to forgiveness from God. We have to forgive. This last week... Um, I've told you guys I've been struggling with some things this last year. Well, when you're struggling with one thing, you're usually struggling with a bunch of different things. And, and there's this issue 
that's been in my life that I have um, thought I dealt with, thought I had forgiven. And, I, you know, I always say, you know, we can forgive, but we'll never forget. We don't have the capacity to forget something unless we have dementia or something like that. We can't, it can't be gone. It can slip our mind for a while, and then something will happen, and whoop, it'll be right there, right? Anybody been there? Am I the only person whose brain works that way? Okay. Well, uh, this, this situation, you, you know, it's, it's all the way out to the edge of my memory, and then all of a sudden something happens and it comes back. And what happens? I get angry about it. I don't get angry about a lot of stuff, like really angry. But this thing makes me angry when it comes to my thought. <clears throat> and um, I was having a conversation with uh, a person about this situation. And they told me, they said, well, you haven't forgiven. And I think, well, yes, I have too forgiven. But I hadn't. I hadn't forgiven. And um, we, were, we were on a trip, and, and we were going somewhere, and, and um, it made me think, you know, I am holding this grudge because that's what I'm doing. I'm holding on to it. It's, it gets out to the edge of my memory or the edge of my thought process, and then something happens, and it's right there. Well, it's right there because I pull it in. I'm pulling that in. Forgiveness is letting that go. And so I, I said, I went around this curve, and I go, well, I'm leaving that right here. I don't know what road I was on when I said it, but I just remember I was in a bend in the road, and I said, God, I'm leaving that right here. I don't know where I'm at. I don't know how to come back and find it. I'm over it. I'm done with it. I'm letting go of it. I'm leaving it here. And it's never going to be an issue in my life again because I don't know where it's at anymore. And I can't go and get it, Lord. I'm just laying it down and leaving it here. God says we can ask him for anything. And in order to see that prayer be answered, two things have to happen. We have to believe and we have to forgive. We can believe with the best of them. Believing is easier than forgiving sometimes. But we've got to forgive. We've got to learn how to forgive. We've got to learn how to let that, that past hurt go. <clears throat> God says, I can speak to the rock. I can speak to that issue. And he can make living water flow from it. God can bring something that's living out of something that is inanimate, something that is dead, something that seemingly has no purpose in your life anymore, something that is just a random thing that you're passing by. Israel's walking, Israel's full of rocks, okay? Full of rocks. Go look at a picture of any place in Israel, even the city, there's rocks everywhere. It's a very rocky place. God can do something amazing out of something random that we're taking for granted. God can bring desired results when we follow instructions, when we're obedient. But, you know what else? I can strike the rock. I can pick up and move the rock. I can do all manner of things to the rock. But I can't bring forth what needs to come out without doing it's God's way. Every, because even if I bring about water, it's still based on my works and not his word. 
Pharaoh is able to manufacture the same miracles that Aaron did when he threw down the staff. Remember, he threw down the staff and became a snake. They threw down their staff and became a snake, but Aaron's snake ate their snake. Remember that? They were able to manufacture the miracle, but their miracle wasn't greater than God's because Aaron was obedient. We have to be careful in our prayers that we're speaking to God and not trying to force the issue with God, that we're not striking the rock in our prayer. God may be telling you, no, Tracy, no. You're asking for the wrong thing. But Lord, I want this. Lord, do this. You know what praying is? Praying is asking God for help. But not asking him how to do it. Remember I said, you know, your miracle is going to come a different way than what you expect. Somebody's heard me say that before, right? Sometimes your miracle is going to come a different way than you expect it. You can make plans for, this is what's got to happen, Lord. I've got this going on, and this is how it has to happen, Lord. Otherwise, I don't know what I'm going to do. And God says, well, I'm going to do this, but not like that. See, God sees the end from the beginning. He sees the end result from where it is. Not right now, but from where it started. And he, he, he's going to bring you through that. So we have to not force the issue. We have to not beat on the rock. He hears us. He loves us. And God does want to meet our needs. That's not prosperity preaching. God desires to give us life and to give it more abundantly. Jesus said that. I come to give you life and I come to give you, to you more abundantly. Anybody's life in here lacking abundance? What abundance? See, that's the question you've got to ask. Because if it's not, if the, if the answer to the question is not Christ Jesus, you're smacking the rock. And you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna die tired. Okay? You're going you're gonna to get what you want from the rock, but you're going to spend so much time beating on the rock, beating on the issue, beating on the subject, that you're just going to be tired. But you don't have to. You don't have to. I get where, where I'm coming from. I do. I feel like I'm never going to get out of this. Hopelessness? Yeah. Yeah. Good news is Jesus didn't say, Jesus never said, I came to make you hopeless. Jeremiah, God said, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I know the thoughts I think about you. No matter what the world thinks about you or has thought about you or said about you, God thinks about you differently. And you have to learn how to think about you differently. God, help me see me the way you see me. God sees you. God, God sees me different than I see me. I see the guy that fails every day. The guy that falls down every day. The guy that Messes it up every day. The, the guy that, that <clears throat> fails to bring glory to God in the way that I live. But you know how God sees me? He sees me as a child because Christ Jesus lives within me. Amen. And you know what? The good thing about a dad, a good dad, is that they always see the best in you. But you can. You can. I didn't have the best dad either. A lot of us in here did not have the best dad either. 
We had dads who cared about us who did the best they could because they were striking the rock their whole lives instead of speaking to the rock. Uh, we, had, we, we grew up with dads who didn't pray. We grew up with dads who didn't show us emotion or love. And we needed that. So they, they spent their lives striking the rock. And what we see now, a lot of us, is the result of that. It's not their fault. It's just the result. It's that fallen nature that we live in because of our original parents, Adam and Eve, and their sin. What's that? Yeah. Well, you know what? Here's the thing. God says that he'll give you a new heart. He'll create in you a new heart. That's what Jesus comes to do. He comes to give us a new life. Come, life and life more abundantly. Life to the overflowing. I've seen your garage. It's overflowing. Yeah. But God says he wants to give you a life overflowing in Christ Jesus. I'm for that. I'm not for a whole lot of in excess in this world, but I am for God overflowing in my life. Because when God overflows in my life, his will is done. I don't have to say, Lord, what is your will for my life? Yeah, the, the will, God's will for our life is that we would overflow. Overflow in such a life that our life pours into others. And that's what I like doing, you know. Yeah. Everything that I yeah. have in my garage, I'm like helping domestic violence families. I'm yeah. Like helping burnout families. Yeah. You know, that's who I have been my whole life. Let me ask you this. What's better? Give them some clothes that's going to wear out? or help them find a robe of righteousness that will never wear out. Everything that we have oh, in this life, every, yeah, temporarily. Yeah. We're talking about temporal things, and I'm talking about eternal. God wants to give us eternal. Eternal. You can have eternity at striking the rock or eternity at speaking to the rock. A striking the rock or speaking to the rock. Look, let me tell you something. When I die, and someday I'm going to die. My body is going to fail one way or another. Might be my mind, might be my appendix, could blow up, could be cancer, could be anything, could be my heart, could be any. My luck, I'm going to trip and hit my head on something. Okay? I'm going to spend eternity speaking to the rock. That's what I feel like I'm doing now. Speaking to the rock or striking the rock? No, you can't do both. You're either speaking to the rock or striking the rock. Speaking to the rock more Okay. So what I want to say to you this morning is every one of us has a choice in how we're going to deal with situations. Our first inclination is to strike the rock, is to put our hands to the solution. Right? I can... I can try my best to solve your problem or your problem or my problem. I've been trying to solve this problem that I'm facing for the last year. Guess what? I've been striking the rock. And you know what God said? Tracy, speak to the rock. Speak to this rock. And you know what? I started speaking to the rock. And you know what went away right away? All my anxiousness about the situation. Because I'm not hitting the rock. I'm not trying to move the rock. I'm not trying to flip the rock over and look underneath for my solution. God is showing me that if I'll speak to him about the situation, he's going to bring life out of it. Where I felt like there wasn't any. Where I felt like I was at a dead end. 
when I felt like I was just struggling too much. God gave me peace. He said, you can bring this to me. Lay it at my feet. Jesus said, take my burden. It's light. It's comfortable. It's not overbearing. It's not going to wear you out. Well, I tell you what, that was freeing to be able to take that yoke off, lay it down, and know that, that Jesus has got me. That, that he is bringing life back into me. Jesus said in John chapter 4 to the woman, he said, you're going to keep coming to this well, and you're going to keep asking for water. Every day you're going to have to drop this bucket down on a long rope, pull the water up, haul it back to town, but tomorrow you're going to be thirsty again. He said, I want to give you living water. And she said, give me some of this living water. Jesus began to talk to her about her life situation. The law, right? And he said, he brought up worship. And he said, uh, she said, well, oh, she brought up worship. She changed the subject when Jesus began to get personal with her. And uh, she said, tell me, where is it that we're supposed to worship? My people say we're supposed to worship on this mountain, but the Jews say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. Let's talk about religion. Let's not talk about his love. He's offering living water. He's offering life to her. He's offering freedom to her. And she brings religion into the subject with Jesus. We can do the same thing. We can bring religion into the subject when it comes to Jesus. And Jesus isn't asking about our religion. He says, well, he says, there's going to come a time when you're, you're not going to worship on that mountain and we're not going to worship in Jerusalem. But we're, going to, we're, we're all going to worship God in spirit and in truth. That time's coming. For all of us. Bible says that one day we're all going to bow our knee and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's no way around it. You can fight him your whole life. You can fight the idea of who he is your whole life. You don't believe that he's the Savior. You believe he's just a good man. You can argue that your whole life. You can strike the rock on that your whole life. But the Bible says that every tongue is going to confess, every knee is going to bow, and they're going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But at that time, it's too late. Today is the day of decision. Today is the, is the day of salvation. And what are you going to do with it? Are you going to continue to strike the rock? Or are you going to ask? Are you going to speak to the rock this morning? You have an opportunity to speak to the rock and be set free this morning. If you're not born again, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to invite you to speak to the rock this morning. I'm not going to call you up and, 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 and put you in front of everybody, but I'm just going to pray. And if... if you decide that's what you're going to do. If you haven't done that, and you decide that's what you're going to do this morning, speak to the rock and say, Lord, I don't want to strike this rock anymore. I don't want to try to beat my solution out of this rock anymore. I want what you want for me. I want it the way you want me to have it. I'm okay with obedience. I'm, I'm okay with some direction. Lord knows, without GPS, I, I, I'd get lost. I'm all right around here. Send me to Wyoming. I'm lost. I'm more lost than last year's Easter eggs. But I need God's guidance in my life. Because I'm going to come to places in my life where I don't know where I'm at. I don't have the answers. I don't have the solutions. But he wants to bring me through. He wants to deliver me from them. He wants to do something with my life after them. Amen.
Same with you. It doesn't matter where you were, what you've done, how you've been, what you've, how you've done it. It's just striking a rock and he, he's offering you a solution. What are you going to do with it? Let's pray.